constant through all the years, Ray. Been Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the Beyond the Game program. Beyond the Game is brought to you by Town & Country Press Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com. You can call Town & Country at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. I'm Rick Benson along with Zach Barletta. We're honored to have you with us. Lots to get to today, Zach. So let's start with the Buffalo Bills and last <laughs> night's or last Monday's game in Seattle. I wanted to start here because you know I don't normally get too wrapped up in complaining about officiating. There's a human element to it. I understand that. And despite the amount that we hear about on sports talk radio, I actually think overall they do a pretty good job. You, however, are a terrific Twitter follow. Um, following you on game day is entertaining because you get so fired up. And here on the show, I subtly try to keep you from getting onto a topic where you're just going to completely lose it. However, <laughs> after Monday's game, I, I think I owe it to you. I owe it to our fans to just, to just let you lose. So, your thoughts on the Bills Monday night and the game and the officiating is specifically what happened there at the end of the first half. The first thought that I really had about the game, like my takeaway from it, was that it's not only a shame that the officiating was so bad because the Bills lost, because I'm a big Bills fan, but that it really ruined what was a very exciting football game. No, it was a good game. I mean, as far as the primetime games this year, would you agree, have mostly been duds? And Not right up to that one. Uh, I think back to the Thursday night game with the Jaguars and the Titans. I mean, that was a snooze fest. And this game was fun. It was back and forth. There were two mobile quarterbacks. They Both quarterbacks had rushing, rushing touchdowns in the first game. And both teams came game. out right out of the gate Oh, scoring. absolutely. Yeah, it was a fun game. It was an exciting game. It was a close game that should have been closer and probably should have gone to overtime. But... You know, the next day, Monday came, and at work, we weren't talking about what a great game it was. We were talking about how much egg the NFL had on its face because the officiating was so poor. This this is on Tuesday, you mean? A Tuesday, Tuesday yes. Morning. I'm sorry. Yeah, and it was just it was just such a letdown after that. And I would almost have rather had the Bills just get completely blown out and destroyed from the coin toss than have them lose in a way that it really felt like Lucy pulling the football away from Charlie Brown. You know, here's the Bills making a game effort of it and be hanging around in a game that they weren't supposed to win. And then, oh, you know, we're not going to call a penalty for destroying your kicker. And then we're going to hold on to the football so you can't snap it and call you for delay of game. Like, it was just such a... And those happened seconds apart, and it was just such a bizarre sequence. And almost every single person in America that watched this football game knew instantly, well, that's not right. Except for the officiating crew. It was mind-blowing. I used to like Richard Sherman a lot. I respected him. And and I've lost a little of that respect for some of the things that he has done and defended. 
Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, that pass interference call at the end of the game with Atlanta a few weeks back, it was clear. He had a hold of his arm. Yet he's defending yeah. it like he's the last guy in the sinking ship and he's gonna he's gonna go down with it. I've lost a little respect for that. And mm-hmm. there's little doubt in my mind. Now who knows somebody else's heart? You know, I have no idea truly what his intent is. But from appearance it sure looked like he was intentionally going after the kicker. Now I will say that was very acrobatic because he did get to the football oh, yeah. first. Oh, I mean, impressive. that was that was impressive. But after that, he definitely went into the kicker. So much so, yeah. the NFL fined him for it. So they thought there was something there. Oh, yeah. And if that wasn't enough, for the referees to then stand over the football and then penalize the Bills for a delay of game, that was just salt in the wound. That was terrible. Yeah, it was. it was just... It was one of those decisions that happens that it's so outlandish and so bad that you just watch it and it's almost like you're watching a TV show because you're like, this can't really be happening, right? This is just so ridiculous. This is outside of the realm of what we remotely thought was possible. But I guess with the NFL now, the realm of what's possible is so much bigger than we thought because literally anything could happen. Yeah, I hate these discussions. I hate talking about the quality of umpiring or officiating because, again, overall, I think they do a pretty good job. But they blew this. Mm -hmm. That was terrible. Even if you want to take the Richard Sherman thing out of it, the fact that you stood over the football and then penalized the Bills for delay a game, that penalty moved them back. He actually made, Carpenter did, the, the field goal, the first one, and then on the after the penalty for the delay of game, he missed the second one. And that turns out in the end of the game to have possibly made a difference because at the end, the Bills only could have been going for a field goal to tie rather than trying to yeah. stick it in the end zone for the win. And I'm looking at – I have right here the comments that Walt Anderson, the head official in that game that he made, and he talked about it and he said, well, you know, it's common practice. We hold on to the ball so that teams have a chance to make their substitutions and stuff. And he says, um, if there was a little time left, that's probably a mistake on my part in terms of not pumping the play clock back up. But I was not aware that it was that far into the play clock. Your job is to be aware of that play clock. To just say, well, you know, I wasn't aware of it. That's my bad. Well, then maybe you should find another job because you're not doing yours. And I'm glad you brought that up because those types of explanations, those types of apologies that include phrases like, if probably are so stinking weak that you should be yeah. fine just for using it. If There's you no can't if stand, or probably. Yeah, if you can't stand up there and say, listen, I, I wasn't aware. I should have been aware. My fault. There's nothing we can do about it now, but it is my fault. This one's on me, guys. Uh, you know, and I feel bad because the Bills play. Who was it? Uh, was it Richie Garcia? That made that that blew that call that cost the Colorado Rockies pitcher uh, was it Galarraga through the no hitter. He was so, pitching for Detroit. Yeah, I can't remember. I, who I the think it was, was. I think it was. Oh, it was Detroit, but I think it was Richie Garcia, and I could be wrong on that. But he was stand up about it. He said, "Listen, there's nobody that feels worse than I do for depriving that kid. There's nothing I could do about it." But he carried that. Yeah. For to say if and probably 
That is so stinking weak. The NFL should act. And the NFL, in my opinion, they, they should suspend them. There should be some some fine. There should be, I mean, they fine the players. Yeah. Why not fine the refs when they're out of line? Because this was completely out of line. He missed it, and, and it very possibly could have cost. You never know how a game's going to go. Could have cost the Bills a game. I, I don't know. But it sure made a difference. Absolutely. And that's that's what we want is, as sports fans. We want accountability out of the players and the coaches, but also out of the officials. And to see an official in any sport have such a direct impact on the outcome of the game and then not have to answer questions about it, not have to suffer the consequences in his job. You know, from what I understand, when a referee makes a blatant error like this, they're not suspended or fined. What happens is they get bumped down the list of grades, and maybe they're less likely to get a playoff game or a Super Bowl. But that's it. Like, there should be more well, of serious course, Of course you shouldn't get a playoff game or a Super Bowl. Yeah. If, you're, if you are not aware of where the play clock is as a referee, you should not be doing a playoff or a Super Absolutely. Bowl. Absolutely. But you shouldn't be doing next week's game either. No. You should say, listen, man, are we... This here, this is you're suspended it's without pay. Yeah. One game. If it happens again, you're suspended a couple of games. But you know, if it happens too many times, you need to find another job. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you keep messing up on your job, you're probably toast, right? Right. I mean, I can't keep doing making mistakes on my job. They'll they'll get rid of me. Yeah. Uh, if I miss another bumper, we're going to have a new producer next week. <laughs> like that's just how it works. I've followed sports for a long time. This Zach is a first for me. Florida international tight end, Janu Smith. I believe that's how you pronounce it, J-O-N-N-U. Janu Smith is out for the season after a domestic dispute with his pregnant girlfriend. According to the Miami Herald, the woman who was five months pregnant with Smith's child dumped a pot of boiling water on Smith in his dorm room on Halloween. I saw that headline, and I didn't read the article, but I was like, what? What? You know, I had to reread it. He suffered severe burns to his neck, his back, uh, arm, even his head and shoulder. Oh my gosh. Uh, his girlfriend, Mary Gaspar, was charged with aggravated battery in the attack. Police said that the couple had been arguing over the amount of attention that Smith was paying to her. Uh, I'm not. I'm not intending to make light, light of this. Obviously, th- this is a severe situation, but... You need to pay attention to your girl, especially when she's got, you know, yeah. she's carrying your child. And boiling water. And we don't, we don't know. Any, yeah, we don't know. <laughs> this is a new one for me. I've, I've never seen anything like that. If you missed it in all the election coverage Tuesday night, there was something else I'd never seen before. After halftime in the Kings Pelicans NBA game, officials had them replay the end of the second quarter again. They actually had him go back and play it after halftime before the third period. Apparently, officials had miscounted the team fouls for the Pelicans. When Solomon Hill fouled DeMarcus Cousins, it should have put the Kings in the bonus and therefore sent uh, Cousins to the foul line, but they missed it and only discovered it during the break. Now, this is interesting to me because neither team caught it. No, but none of the officials caught it. Nobody on on the bench, uh, you know, the score clock. Nobody caught this, and I guess that's possible. But it, wow, it seems really, really strange. Nobody would catch it. But the rest told the players they would have to replay the final 
almost 19 seconds of the first half before proceeding on to the third quarter. As a result, the halftime score actually changed. It was 51-48, ended up changing to 53-46, so still in, in favor of the Kings. Now, unlike the NFL, where if you miss it, the NFL, I think the NBA, I don't know how many, I don't know the rules of these leagues, but the NBA allowed allowed within their rules for them to go back and replay that 18.9 seconds. Somebody should maybe forward this link to those officials from the Bill Seahawks game as a suggestion. Maybe <laughs> we just try that again. Yeah, if they pick up on it right there, listen, man, this was a mistake. And this is why you kind of wonder sometimes when they're on, they're, they're communicating back to New York and they say, you know, the game is really being officiated in New York. These guys are just whatever out there, but there's, there's a, there's another official on the field and it's the guy in New York. Well, in this case, that would have actually been a good thing mm-hmm. for the bill. I, Cause the guy could have said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What are you doing? Yeah. Come on, man. You're standing over the ball. And that is obviously a penalty on Sherman. Uh, we got to redo that. So go back and get it. Now you can't do it after the, you know, the next day or you can't do it, you know, late in the second half right. when you realize, you know, maybe at the end of the first, I should have done that. We've got another full show for you today. So please do stick around. We're going to talk a little about the, a little bit about the Dallas Cowboys quarterback situation. We've talked about it before, but. Dak Prescott keeps playing well, and it keeps making this a very interesting situation. And now Tony Romo's getting close. It becomes a very interesting situation. Darren Metzger is going to join us. He'll talk about the start of the, the NBA season, give us a little bit of an update. And, of course, Zach's going to bring us some shenanigans. I hope you'll stick around, spend the hour with us. You can find archives, previous broadcasts on our website, btgprogram.com. You can also keep up with the program on Twitter and other social media platforms. Our social media handle is at BTG Program. And we can also be reached via the studio line, 585-431-1202. Once again, that's 585-431-1202. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Title sponsor of Beyond the Game is Town & Country Pest Solutions, and they have been for the two-plus years the show's been on the air. But that's nothing compared to the nearly 30 years of bringing your homes and businesses of unwelcome pests. And I'm not just here reading a commercial script for them. I am a happy and satisfied customer. They have taken care of a mouse, bee, ant, and even fly problem for me. Yes, my house is old and falling apart, and I get all sorts of pest problems, and you may too as the colder air creeping in starts to cause critters to seek shelter in your attic, basement, or walls. If you think you have a problem or want to make sure that you don't, call town and country they really are the best they guarantee their work and did i mention they're the best save yourself any more of a headache and money by giving them a call first don't waste your time on other companies town and country will do it right the first time every time so give them a call today at 585-426-5024 that's 585-426-5024 one more time because someone decided that three is the magic number 585-426-5024 or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com town and country pest solutions they fear nothing but god is here ram sports network christian sports television that's right Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian Sports TV channel with programming from Pee-wee to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, Western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com. 
or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network, more than a game. Welcome back. You found the favorite faith-based sports talk show of New York's mid-Hudson Valley. The Beyond the Game program is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com. Got a pest problem? Give them a call, 585-426-5024. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. It gets closer and closer to decision time for the Dallas Cowboys. Incumbent quarterback Tony Romo gets closer and closer to being game-ready. All the while, Rookie of the Year candidate Dak Prescott continues to play extremely well in having led the Cowboys to, what is it now, seven straight wins? Yeah. What an incredible job by the Dallas draft room. You know, man, they they did a great job last year in the draft. Uh, Stiffest competition to Prescott for Rookie of the Year has got to be in the very same backfield, right? Yeah. Ezekiel Elliott and, you know. Passed up by every other NFL team, and I'm sure the DUI probably had something to do with it. And I, I though I think he was, wasn't that dismissed that DUI that he he faced? You know, I'm not sure. It's, I I want to say that sure, it was, but I'm pretty sure it was. And every other team, he was taken by the Cowboys with the 135th overall pick. And while it's anybody's guess, you know what the Jets and Rams are doing with their highly drafted quarterbacks. <laughs> Uh, as the Eagles have done with Carson Wentz, the Cowboys played Prescott and have essentially found lightning in a bottle. And, and, and you mentioned Carson Wentz, and that's something to me that's been impressive about Dak Prescott, is we saw Carson Wentz get out to the same kind of start to the season. And then it seems like teams have kind of figured him out a little bit. And he had that streak with no interceptions, and then now he's actually throwing quite a few interceptions. And we really haven't seen Dak Prescott hit that wall yet. Cowboys owner and general manager Jerry Jones has been criticized a bit for wavering, maybe, in his plans who will be starting quarterback once Romo is fully ready. But would any of us really do anything differently? I mean, after initially saying that Romo would be the guy once he's ready, he's since softened that and sort of now is taking a wait-and-see approach. But, man, the reality is nobody expected Prescott to play this well. When first asked the question, Prescott had played well in probably, what, three or four games? Mm-hmm. You know, I am sure Jones is thinking it's probably safe to think that he wouldn't continue to play at that level. I mean, Romo would be in a position at some point you would think to take over, but yet week after week, he goes out there and looks like a veteran quarterback. He is uh, amazing, you know? And now the Cowboys are sort of in a spot. What do they do? Uh, you know, you often hear people say that, uh, having too much talent, having too much pitching, having too many quarterbacks, these, these are good problems to have. Oh, absolutely. And, and they are good problems, but it's still a problem. You know, we discussed this several weeks ago, you and I, and at the time I, I, I sort of felt like it was Romo's job. You know, I didn't think that a player should lose his starting job due to an injury. Uh, I suggested that I, I wouldn't want the message to be to the rest of my team that, you might want to consider hiding an injury because if you go on the DL, you might lose your job to somebody else. I didn't want to send that message. So for me, I think you always you don't lose your job. But this is a different circumstance. I don't remember. And you would think that there must have been one somewhere along the line. But I don't remember a situation like this where 
uh, somebody's played as good as Prescott has. I mean, he's won seven straight games. What rookie does that? I think you've got to go back to the Bledsoe-Brady year, right? And I don't know that Brady was a rookie, but he was it was his first taste of starting. But you, I think Romo is Bledsoe in this scenario, and I think he's gone next year. After missing the first two months of the season, Romo's cleared now this week to practice. And now the question is, when are we going to see him suited up for a game? It's reported that when... When he plays, you know, it's when he plays it is no longer a medical issue. It's now a coaching decision has been reported. But like everyone else, Jones doesn't seem to have an answer for that question. You have that clip of Jerry Jones. Let's play that. We probably are never going to have this totally sorted out. We're going to play it by ear, play it as it comes. We can do that. Uh, and to do it really right. For the- Did you want some more of that clip? No, that'll do. I mean, you basically get the idea. We don't know when we're going to have this thing sorted out. We may never have this thing sorted out. And right, how else would you go about it? The situation in Dallas is arguably arguably the most talked about story in the NFL. Hey, this this is interesting. What are they going to do? And I've admittedly, I've changed my stance because this is such a unique situation. I think if all things are equal, the Cowboys have to stick with Prescott. The chemistry, the timing, all things just seem to be clicking. But I but I think Jones can play it by ear. I think he's in that position and see how things go because in life in the NFL is very fluid, you know, it changes quickly. Things mm-hmm. things may just work out on their own, you know. Prescott gets hurt, Romo gets hurt, one of the other doesn't play well. Things can turn around pretty quick. Basically it all comes down to this. How's the team doing? And how well is Prescott playing? Uh, as Jones himself pointed out, the Cowboys have the luxury of not rushing Romo back. And while the team is playing as well as it is, there's no urgency. Like last year, there was an urgency. You had to get Romo out there. They had went through two, maybe three different quarterbacks, and mm-hmm. they needed their guy. Oh, yeah. This is a different year. Um, but they could be staring at that situation where maybe Prescott doesn't play as well. The Cowboys play the Steelers in Pittsburgh on Sunday night. The Steelers are 4-4, four and four, but they're a pretty solid team, and I don't think they can be overlooked, especially in Pittsburgh. You know, I, I That's a good team. After the Steelers, they host the Ravens, then the Redskins on Thanksgiving Day before going into Minnesota and then to New York to play the Giants, who gave Dallas the only blemish so far on their, on their schedule, that being on opening night. Then they finish the season with Tampa Bay, and Detroit at home, and Philadelphia on the road. That's a tough stretch. That's a tough stretch of eight there games. There are some good defenses in there. They can, of course, win every one of them. They can, but I, I, I doubt they will. And They're not going to. And those, as you said, there's some good defenses there, and Prescott's going to get some looks, and he's going to be challenged a little bit. So there may be an opportunity, but the writing the writing's on the wall. You already alluded to it that next year, what's going to happen? Romo's a competitor. Of course he wants to play. He wants to start. But Prescott has shown he's more than capable of handling the job. Starting for as long as he's done this year, he's not going to be content carrying a clipboard for Romo, you wouldn't right. think. At some point, Jerry Jones and Tony Romo have to have a conversation. He's, you know, He owes Romo that. He's been one of the all-time great Dallas Cowboys. He may not have delivered a championship, but he's been a great cowboy. He deserves an honest and open conversation and the option to discuss his future with the team. 
But the Cowboys also have to keep Prescott happy. And they can't let him just rust away on the sideline. So, no. man, this is, you know, what do you do? Uh, Romo is seemingly either destined to be the backup or find a job with another team. I still say next year Tony Romo spends the season on the Browns injured reserve. Though if I'm the Cowboys, I'd be concerned about letting Romo go. Yeah, Prescott's play has been superb, but so was Colin Kaepernick's for a while. And then suddenly he lost it. You know, Prescott's sample size is still small, though very good. It's still kind of small. I don't know. The key to keeping everybody happy, you know, keeping them on the same page, good communication, but good luck. And, you know, Zach, with with Cowboy fans, they're, they're ready to turn the page. Everyone I know. Everyone I see on social media, play Prescott, keep Prescott. Romo's got to go. He's too old. He's too this. But um, they're ready to follow Prescott into the promised land, which to me, you know, the analogy I draw there, it's not unlike the biblical account of Jesus and John the Baptist found in John chapter 3. John, of course, was baptizing people and paving the way for Christ. But John's disciples, they didn't fully understand everything that was going on, the magnitude of all that was going around around them. And they seemed a bit jealous of the amount of, you know, quote-unquote business that Jesus was doing. In John chapter 3, verse 26, they, they told John that Jesus was baptizing nearby and that all the people are going to him. But John's answer to them was just so cool. Here's John three twenty seven. A man that can receive nothing. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have sent. I have been sent ahead of him. A little while later, in verse thirty, he says the key really for all of us. He must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus was gaining popularity, so John's followers they sort of feared that. John would be passed up, and by association, their influence was going to be lessened as well. And I compare that many people, they love their church, which is great. They love their church. But sometimes their love of their church or perhaps their love of their way of thinking is greater than their love for Christ himself. They love their roles. They love their leadership positions. They love their reputations. Their identity is wrapped up in how people see them and not in Christ. They get greater joy when someone becomes part of their church, it seems, than, you know, or part of their group rather than they become a believer in Christ. People ought to rejoice that sinners turn to Christ, whether they go to our church or another church or follow us or don't follow us. We should rejoice more that people get saved. They come to know Jesus as Savior. But John, he got it. In his humility, In his humility, he understood that all his success was a result of God's hand in his ministry. Success is from heaven, and regardless of what ministry you're involved in, it comes from the same source. So we ought not to be envious of one another's work for Christ. We're all on the same team. You know, we're trying to accomplish the same thing. We should rejoice with one another. James 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. The team, the church, the ministry, the business, whatever it is, it all benefits when everyone knows their role. You know, it's been clearly communicated from the top to the bottom. John 3.28 says, You yourselves are my witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent 
ahead of him. Nobody goes to a wedding to see the best man. You know, we're all there to see the bride. John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. John knows that Jesus' current success, that's just going to be the beginning, you know. That is, you know, John knows his work is going to cease. The Messiah is here. He's, he's, he's there now. His ministry was to be the voice crying in the wilderness, announcing that Jesus is coming. It's not exactly Tony Romo's job to prepare the way for Zach Prescott, but Zach Prescott is here. Now, Tony Romo, he needs to know what his role is, and they need to figure that out and communicate that. The team succeeds when the role is clearly communicated and everybody accepts it, whatever it is, starter, backup, or traded to another team. But, you know, you kind of ask yourself, what what is your ministry? What is your role in the body of Christ? Are, you know, are we proclaiming that the king is coming? Do you even know him? And if you do, whose glory are we seeking, our own or that of him? He must increase, I must decrease. I'm Rick Benson. You're listening to Beyond the Game, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Here it is, your Red Hawks report for this week, November 12, 2016. The Red Hawks report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. Let's start with cross-country running, where the Red Hawks women's team finished third overall out of the 28 teams competing last Saturday. They've secured their place in the NCAA Division II championships in Florida on November 19th. The Red Hawks have performed well at the Nationals in recent years, finishing 19th in 2014 and 30th in 2015. The Red Hawks ladies placed three runners in the top 30 out of a total of 191 runners, including senior Elizabeth Valento, who finished third overall. The men also represented well by finishing sixth overall out of the 23 teams. Keith Pease was the top overall finisher for the Red Hawks, coming in 18th place out of the 169 runners. In women's volleyball, junior Courtney Taylor led the Red Hawks with nine kills, while fellow junior Elizabeth Rivera recorded 33 assists last Friday night against Bridgeport. However, the Red Hawks did fall in three sets to drop to 8-14 overall. The big game last Thursday, which was too late to mention during last week's show, the Red Hawks women's basketball team lost on the road to the top team in the country, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish 129-50. The Red Hawks were never able to mount much of a challenge to the Irish, though freshman Emily Miller did score 13 points in 27 minutes, and junior Lucy Cobley also played 27 minutes and added 12 points. Your chances to catch the Red Hawks this week at home? The women's volleyball team closes out its season later today, November 12th, at new time at the Baller Athletic Center against Mercy College. The women's basketball team is also home today, and they'll tip off against Belician College at 5 p.m. Other than that, the only chance to see Roberts Athletics at home will be Friday night when the women's basketball team hosts Stonehill College at 7 p.m. And that concludes the Red Hawks report for this week, November 12, 2016. The Red Hawks report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College, and you can follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Redhawks. This has been the Red Hawks Report, presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. 
Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Welcome back once again, and thanks for being with us here on the Beyond the Game program, btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. It's time for Zach to take us through some shenanigan statements. All right. According to recent reports, the Detroit Tigers are, quote-unquote, listening to offers for their veteran stars. So truth or shenanigans, the Tigers will trade their biggest star, Miguel Cabrera. Shenanigans. Now, of course, if they get blown away by an offer, you know, of course they could potentially move them, but I doubt that's going to happen. And not only, listen, of course the team's going to want him, right? He's one of the best hitters in the game of baseball, Mm -hmm. but they'd have to give up a ton of talent to get him. Mm -hmm. And not only that, they would have to absorb a contract that is at some point going to become burdensome. Mm -hmm. You know, the next four or five years is fine, but he's signed until his age 40 season. He's only 34 years old, I think. He signed to the age 40, and then there's two option years after that that kick in if he meets certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, by that late part of that contract, that's going to become a burden. So to give up all that talent for five or four years of – but, again, I, you know, I say all that. He's one of the best hitters in baseball. I, I, Why would the Tigers want to move him? You know? Isn't it tough to believe that he's only 34, though? feels like he's been around forever. Yeah, that's a great point, but – you know, other than simply shedding payroll, if you're the Tigers, you're crazy to move him. But again, if you get blown away, if somebody's willing to give you mm-hmm. a ton of talent, I mean, you got to think about it. You got to trade anybody if if the price is right. But I, I don't think so. I agree with the statement. I think he will be traded because I think really? there's this I think, season. I think there's one place that is a perfect fit for him because. Dave Dombrowski was the general manager who brought Miguel Cabrera to Detroit. Dombrowski now is running the show in Boston, where they have the money to pay him. They have the Hall of Prospects to make the trade. They have a hole in the lineup where David Ortiz used to be, who also, by the way, had great success into his age 40 season. I just think think the Boston Red Sox are the perfect storm for him. They can DH him. He doesn't have to play the field. We all know he doesn't really have the body type to play the field. And I think if you're looking at teams that have the money, the prospects, and the place to play him, and it's the general manager who brought him to Detroit in the first place, I think he's in a Boston Red Sox uniform by spring training. Wow. Um, well, you make a great case, but if I'm the Tigers, I'm But you're right, I guess. If the Red Sox do have a ton of young talent and they can make that trade, but if I'm a Red Sox fan, and you've been counting on this talent and you've seen it and you're Mm -hmm. competitive and you're in the playoffs and you know you've got this amount of talent coming, are you going to be happy giving that up for one hitter to replace Ortiz? If it's Miguel Cabrera, I think so. Because like you said, he's one of maybe the best hitter of our generation. He's right up there with Manny Ramirez. But 
It, you know who would be really upset if that trade is made is Tiger fans. Because the Tigers, remember, they started to kind of be sellers a year or two ago, and it got Dombrowski fired. So to get Dombrowski fired and have him go to the Red Sox, <laughs> and then a year later, oh, yeah, he was right. We are sellers. If I was a Tiger fan, that would upset me. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting. I, I know the Red Sox have said they're not spending big dollars to replace Ortiz, but I think they were talking in terms of Encarnacion or Batista. Mm-hmm. But Cabrera is a different matter. I It'll be interesting to see. I, I don't think so. I think he's with Detroit next year, but Maybe you're right. You present a good case. I definitely think it's the one scenario we're going to keep hearing about is Will McGeggy. We, we'll have Miggy watch 2016, you know, where will Miggy go? I think we're not done hearing about that. But on to the next one. The horrendous officiating on Monday night, which we have already mentioned, has made the accountability of officials a hot topic again this week. So truth or shenanigans, NFL referees and all sports officials should have to answer post-game media questions just like players do. What's your thought? We talked a little bit about this at the top of the show, but give me your thoughts on that. My thought is that they absolutely should. I I agree that not necessarily in every game, you know, where the official has to talk every game, but if there's an important call that changes a game that needs to be explained, or maybe that was just plain wrong like we saw on Monday night, the officials should have to defend it and explain it, just like a coach has to explain taking his pitcher out too early or a pitcher has to explain leaving a bad pitch up in the zone. If if they make a mistake, they have to defend it. A referee should be the exact same. And I agree. I, I think they should have to answer post-game questions, though there needs to be a system in place. You can't just throw those guys out there, you know, mm-hmm. five minutes after a game like a piece of flesh to a, in a piranha tank. I mean, on real controversial plays, all you're going to get is if you do that. I haven't seen the film. We haven't reviewed the film. Yeah. You, you know, you're going to get Stonewall. But, um, yeah, I think it should be they should be made available if for no reason to give an indication of how they viewed it, exactly. how they interpreted the rule. A great example was this week in the Giants game. Eli Manning was intercepted. The ball was stripped away from Odell Beckham. Um, and at first, the announcers, myself, everybody – figured it was a fumble recovery and it would get overturned. They had ruled it an intercept. It'd get overturned because clearly Beckham never had possession. But when it came to the to the ruling, the referee stated that it was not a, a catch and fumble. It was an interception because the eagle had ripped it away on the way down. They couldn't when they when it got to the ground, they couldn't see enough to overturn the call on the field. So the interpretation of the rule in that play in that instance made a difference. So having them made available to explain how they interpret it might add some clarity. Exactly. And that's what I want to hear. I want to know the process. How did they arrive at the conclusion that they did? The Dallas Cowboys, who we mentioned earlier also, are not only a playoff team, but a legit Super Bowl contender. What do you think? I agree. I mean, they're not going to be my top pick to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. And I think it makes a big difference who the home team is. Whether If, if they're hosting a team like Seattle, makes a big difference as opposed mm-hmm. to going up to Seattle to play those Seahawks. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know what? The other thing is we talked a little earlier about Prescott and Romo. They're a legitimate Super Bowl contender with Romo. 
they're a playoff team with Prescott. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Prescott, but the playoffs are a whole different level of foot. It's a whole other bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a veteran quarterback makes a big, big difference. If you're going into the playoffs with a rookie quarterback, especially with a rookie backfield, essentially, mm-hmm. that that's an additional challenge. But, yeah, I, I think they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Yeah, I wouldn't have believed it even a month ago, but at this point, I think they have to be considered a Super Bowl contender. They're seven and one. They have possibly the two best rookies in the league, one of whom is the league's leading rusher. You know, they're they're absolutely one of the best teams in the league, and they're one of the most fun to watch too. I think. Yeah, they are fun to watch unless you're a Giants fan, but you know. <laughs> well, yeah. Last but not least, Phil Jackson's desire to see the Knicks run the triangle offense will be good for the team. Shenanigans. Why do you hire Jeff Hornacek to coach the team? If you're going to coach the team from up in the... If you want to coach the team, get out of the booth and come down and coach the team. Let him do his job. I mean, if the triangle was so great, why aren't other teams running it? The answer is simple. They don't have the talent. Jackson had had a Michael Jordan. He had Kobe Bryant, you know, the Knicks have nobody even close to that. And one of the things that this question reminded me of as I was doing my homework for it is you remember those Cowboys Super Bowl teams in the 90s? How many coaches got jobs just based on being on the staff of that team? And they ended up being terrible coaches that had a reputation built by being on a powerhouse team. I feel like that's what the triangle is. Like the triangle had Michael Jordan in it. It had Kobe Bryant in it and people said oh the triangle is great the triangle works you take the triangle to a team like the Knicks that has more talent than it's had in a while but nowhere near the talent of those teams it should be no surprise if it doesn't work yeah you're right in fact, we got Darren Metzger coming up after the break we're gonna we'll ask him he he watches a lot of the NBA he's following it for us we'll ask him to this question you're listening to the beyond the game program brought to you by town and country Pest Solutions. I'm Rick Benson. He's Zach Barletta. We'll be back right after this. Title sponsor of Beyond the Game is Town & Country Pest Solutions, and they have been for the two-plus years the show's been on the air. But that's nothing compared to the nearly 30 years of bringing your homes and businesses of unwelcome pests. And I'm not just here reading a commercial script for them. I am a happy and satisfied customer. They have taken care of a mouse, bee, ant, and even fly problem for me. Yes, my house is old and falling apart and I get all sorts of pest problems, and you may too as the colder air creeping in starts to cause critters to seek shelter in your attic, basement, or walls. If you think you have a problem or want to make sure that you don't, call Town & Country. They really are the best. They guarantee their work, and did I mention they're the best? Save yourself any more of a headache and money by giving them a call first. Don't waste your time on other companies. Town and Country will do it right the first time, every time. So give them a call today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. One more time because someone decided that three is the magic number, 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town and Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. If you know a high school athlete looking to become their best self, think Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We recently won six conference titles. Our teams have made three NCAA national championship appearances, and 96 student athletes were named East Coast All-Conference. And Roberts has the only NCAA Division II program in Greater Rochester. 
Tell the athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Welcome back to Beyond the Game. Beyond the Game is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. You can follow us more closely, btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. And joining us right now on the BTG studio line is our good friend, Darren Metzger. Darren is a passionate NBA fan, and he joins us from time to time to report on the league. Darren, how's it going, man? Good. How are you guys doing? We're doing great also. Hey, Phil Jackson is now reportedly unhappy with the way the Knicks have been using his favorite triangle offense. Less than a full day after those reports came up, Coach Jeff Hornacek announces that assistant coach Kurt Rambis will now be the team's defensive coordinator. Do you think that Phil Jackson is meddling already with how Hornacek is coaching the team? And and is that necessarily a problem? You know, I don't, I don't know. First, the Knicks are one of the better teams in the league and putting points on the board. I think they're actually somewhere around 12th or 13th in the league in offensive, offensive efficiency, which if I'm remembering correctly, that's a vast improvement over last year. And I mean, Hornacek has said Jackson's been pretty much hands-off since day one, but if you see something, then he'll say something. So that, that answered nothing for me. But I can't help but think Jackson is unhappy. I mean, why wouldn't he be? I mean, he's still Jackson. He's supposed to be able to fix everything except the Knicks. And he keeps forcing this triangle offense down their throats. And, yeah, it's working better this year, but maybe it's the time to just give up on it and stop and just admit that it's not going to happen. Is Rambis some sort of defensive guru that I've never heard about? I know his teams in Minnesota, when he was a head coach there, weren't very weren't very good defensively. And does this move have Jackson's fingerprints all over it? I don't know if Rambis is a defensive guru, but it can't hurt to have one coach focus solely on the defense because, man, are they bad at defense. Up, up until the Nets game on Wednesday night, they hadn't held the team to under 102 points in a game. They have to be better on defense. So, you know, maybe this is a move by Jackson, just trying to help the team in any way he can. And I honestly don't see how it's going to hurt. Let's take a look at the NBA overall. In fact, let's just take a look at the top of it. If you were to give your power rankings, let's take, let's just take the top seven. How would you give your top seven ranks seven to first? Seven to first, I'm going to go with the Utah Jazz, I would say. They started the season without Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors, but They've been a slowly climb up the power rankings. They're a good team. Then I'm going to put Oklahoma City there at six. I'm, I'm hesitant because their offense isn't great, but they're playing good D, and supposedly that wins championships. Uh, I mean, this team's this team's ceiling isn't you know too high, but their and their floor is lower than most people think. But as of right now, I'm going to put them at six. The Atlanta Hawks at five. They weren't in my top seven until they got a road win over Cleveland. That's impressive. They have a talented roster. Right now, they deserve to be there. The Spurs at four. Their losses have honestly been very ugly. But they're still the Spurs, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Golden State, I'm going to put it three. 
they're just going to keep getting better and better as they gel. This team is way too talented. I mean, you saw them finally start to knock shots down the other day. Then they came out flat against the Lakers. So give them time. And I, I think you're going to see a team that's obviously better than 500, but not like they were last year. Um, and everyone's going to panic like they did with the Heat and they, they did with the Cavs. But just everyone needs to relax. They're going to figure it out, and they are going to be a very good team for years to come. Um, look, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I mean, usually by now the Clippers have already burned me, but I'm putting them a second. Chris Paul and Blake Griffin have been good, man. Uh, be skeptical, though. You have a reason to be. Uh, this team has proven time and time again that they can burn you. But, man, when they are healthy, look out. Even their bench is playing well. I love what this team is doing. Then you got the Cavs. Their one loss came at home to the Hawks. I mean, they're a good team. Uh, the Hawks are a good team. But the Cavs had a bad shooting night that night. And, but they remained in the game the whole time. So this team should honestly stay at number one, two at worst all year long. They're an amazing basketball team. I realize that we're barely into this season, and it's a little early to start talking about MVPs or who's playing well, who's not. But some guys have just been playing extraordinarily well so far. And whose play has been more impressive to you, DeMar DeRozan with the Raptors or Damian Lillard with the Blazers? Yeah, I I could bore you with all these efficiency and true true shooting stats, but that feels like something Zach would do, and I'm cooler than him, so <laughs> I'm I'm not going to. I'm going to say both guys have been phenomenal. And when you're looking at the efficiency and the true shooting, Damian Lillard has been a little bit better. DeMar DeRozan is scoring more, yes, but he's also been used more. He's been used more than he has in his career. Well, I, I, I can't pick. If you want me to pick, I would like to choose James Harden. I mean, he's got over 12 assists a game, my MVP choice before the season started. just want to say that. But, I mean, DeRozan's shooting better. He's scoring a bunch of points uh, mid-range, which I'd like to see because he was known as a dunker, and now he's hitting a lot of mid-range shots. That's a good sign that he's just going to continue to climb the uh, superstar ladder. Then you got Damian Lillard, who is known as a three-point shooter and is now scoring at the rim a lot more. I think he went from somewhere around 7.6, 7.7 points per, you know, per game on a drive to 12.7 this season. So, I mean, he's starting to get to the rim. He's more aggressive, which is obviously sending sending him to the line more. I like both, but I'm going to take DeRozan right now just because scoring wins you basketball games. He is doing more of that. But yeah, you're right. I could be talking anyway. I, I left James Harden out of that question. He probably need me because I think those three guys are probably and you could throw Blake Griffin, as you already mentioned, into the conversation for. You know, after a week or two of the NBA season, who's your early MVP? And it's way too early to discuss that, but these guys are playing at a whole nother level. It's It's been honestly fun to watch. My wife's been getting mad at me because I have been glued to basketball every single night. Um, and right now, though, I am trying to watch James Harden play every chance I get. I think he's re-energized. I, I thought he would be with D'Antoni running the show there. Um Harden is a good player, man. I love watching him. I love watching all three of those guys, but you know, right now I got to watch the bearded one every chance I get. You know, I should ask you this: when we're talking about power rankings, the the LA Lakers are playing extremely well so far, and and I understand they're right around five hundred, but I didn't think they would be this good. I thought they would really be a long year for the Lakers, but they've gotten off to a great start. Where would they fall on your 
on your list of power rankings, and what do you credit the most for their early season success? Right now, I still got to put them around, I would say around 20, give or take a couple spots here and there. Uh, Luke Walton looks like he's a pretty good coach uh, for no other reason than I've seen Nick Young play defense this year. Um, somehow Luke Walton has got him to play defense. I mean, this team is, they're young. They beat the Hawks on the road. Uh, that's impressive. They're already more competitive than they were last year. Uh, they're still a ways away from being a playoff team, let alone a championship contender. But, uh, I mean, like you always say, the Lake, like Benson, you always say the Lakers don't stay down for long. And this early season success is a, is a positive sign, even if it's over an overachievement. But I think this is just young guys starting to mature and starting to figure out how to be, how to be pros. Share in the city of Los Angeles is, of course, the Clippers, and they've played extremely well, as you've mentioned, much better than I anticipated. Blake Griffin is playing perhaps maybe the best basketball of his career. Do you think this is the real Clippers, or are they going to settle back some? I think they're going to have to settle back some just because it's a long season. And they are, I mean, right now they're, they're playing better than, like you said, anyone thought they would. But I could see this being a very good Clippers team. Like, like we played. a few weeks ago, I picked them to uh, go pretty far into the uh, into the Western Conference uh, playoffs. And I, I love this team. I I like Jamal Crawford. I always have coming off the bench there. I like JJ Redick in the starting lineup. But I'm, enough cannot be said about Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. I mean, those guys, combined with DeAndre Jordan, are the ones really leading the team in minutes, and they're out there doing everything they can. Uh, everyone else is really just playing around half the game or under on average. So, I mean, those three guys are a big deal. As long as they stay healthy, I have no reason to believe they won't continue uh, to dominate like they have, especially Blake Griffin. Man, that guy, he's fun to watch right now. He, he was I mean, a big, big dunker and really all he was known for, but now I mean, he's adding parts to his game, and he's, he's dominating out there, and it's fun to watch. Teams like the Lakers, the Clippers, uh, you know, the, the Charlotte Hornets, they've been playing surprisingly well, while teams like the Boston Celtics and especially the New Orleans Pelicans have gotten off to slower-than-expected starts. What's the biggest surprise of the NBA season so far in this early part for you? You know, it's so early, it's hard to tell. Like, yes, I was surprised, like you were and everyone else were, that the Nets were doing what they were doing. But just, it's a long season. They're going to fall back. Uh, the Celtics, I was surprised by that. You know, they're not playing as well as you thought. But give it time, especially in the East, they're going to be just fine. But the Hornets, I mean, they don't have a, in my opinion, they don't have a top 25 player. But they're, they're, they're already outperforming what everyone thought they would. But as I keep saying, it's very early. So I'm not really surprised or shocked by anything as of right now. Give me another month or so, and you know I might have a different answer for you. Well, Darren, thanks so much for joining us, and I look forward to talking to you again in a couple of weeks. We'll get another update from you on the NBA. Thank you. Have a good one. There you have it, Darren Metzger joining us on the BTG Studio Line. I'm Rick Benson. You're listening to Beyond the Game, brought to you by Town & Country. Pest Solutions. It's here. Ram Sports Network. Christian Sports Television. That's right. Christian Sports Television. 
Ram Sports Network is the first Christian sports TV channel with programming from Pee Wee to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, Western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network, more than a game. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family-owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Welcome back to the program. Benson and Barletta joining you. Title sponsor of the Beyond the Game program is, of course, Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com, fearing nothing but God. Proverbs 27, verse 2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth. We have a segment we call You Like That, where we look for stories and people to praise for the good things that they've done, inspired by the Kirk Cousins' You Like That. You like that? You like that? That's the one. This week, I want to praise a number of members of the NASCAR community who on Wednesday attended the funeral of Jake Leatherman. Jake is a five-year-old racing fan who lost his lengthy battle with a form of juvenile leukemia. Apparently, his mom asked a local affiliate there in Charlotte, North Carolina, a local news affiliate, if anyone from the NASCAR family could attend Jake's funeral and if they could attend in uniform. She put out the word and representatives from a number of various NASCAR teams stepped up. Team Penske was there, Stuart Haas Racing, Richard Childress Racing were all there, and Richard Petty Motorsports was also there. Richard Petty, the king, was one of Jake's favorite NASCAR personalities. Also there were Sprint Cup drivers Joey Logano, Matt Benedetto, Ryan Ellis, the good gestures from so many from the NASCAR family. It's what I like this week. What I like this week is not so much something really good that a person did. It's just something that's extremely entertaining. And it's Michigan head football coach Jim Harbaugh. He's known for his khaki pants, his fierce intensity on the sidelines. But this week he was asked about being used as a punchline and a joke on The Simpsons. And it led to him just kind of going off down a bunny trail about all the cartoons that he enjoys. And he said he especially loves SpongeBob SquarePants. He said, SpongeBob, I love his attitude. He attacks each day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. I've kind of modeled my behavior after him. We all should. What a great employee he is. He's a go-getter. He's always got a bounce to a step. He's got pizzazz. He puts his heart and soul into making those Krabby Patties. I think he's awesome. <laughs> I think Jim Harbaugh is awesome. His love of SpongeBob is what I like this week. And he just seems so much more relaxed in college than oh, he did absolutely. in the pros. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Game program. Beyond the Game has been brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com. Give them a call, 585-426-5024. Whether it's ants, bees, rodents, whatever it is, tell them Benson and Barletta sent you. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back to get together next week right here at this same time. Be great this week, everybody. <laughs>